Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So wonderful to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a very interesting item. If you'll come over here, this box lot just came into the shop. And for those of you of a certain age, you'll recognize these right away. These are VHS cassettes, many of which are the home video variety. And we like to buy these lots of old VHS tapes from time to time because you never know what sort of footage you'll find. And now many times you'll find Christmas present openings, you'll find birthday parties, bar mitzvahs, quinceañeras, kids sporting events, but every once in a while the footage you find is that of the bizarre kind, is that of the unexplained, and every so often the haunted and otherworldly. And therein lies the lifeblood of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Shudder original VHS 85. So VHS 85 came out this past Friday, October the 6th, and it's a movie I've been really looking forward to. I was not on board with the VHS series when it when it first came out. I mean, the first VHS film came out in 2012. And at that time, I just was not a big fan of the found footage genre of movie making uh, and more specifically of horror. But I think it was probably a few years back. Well, no, actually, it was only a couple years back. It feels longer. But in 2021, Shudder came out with VHS 94, a film that I had mixed thoughts on originally. There were two really good episodes and two I really didn't care about. But it's one of those movies where I've gone back and rewatched it. And I enjoy that film a lot more than I initially did in its entirety. Uh, the through line on it, I, I really don't care for. Like I said, a, a couple of the stories flat for me, but I still appreciate it. And the two good stories that I liked, the subject and terror, I thought were excellent, excellent stories in that movie. But I watched VHS 94 and I'm like, okay, it's not so bad. Like I said, there were a couple stories I really liked in it. So I went back and watched all the other VHS movies in the franchise. And, and I found I, I really liked VHS 1, VHS 2, VHS Viral. Eh. But VHS 94 was was okay. Like I said, the, the last two stories in that really made the, the whole film for me. Uh, and then, of course, VHS 99 came out last year. Really liked that. So I was really excited about VHS 85 hitting Shudder, especially when I found out, of course, David Bruckner has been a part of the VHS franchise for a while now. I knew he was going to be doing something in this. There was also Scott Derrickson 
who I'm a, a huge fan of. Of course, the guy behind stuff like Sinister, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Black Phone, which came out in 2021, which I really liked, and a lot of other really good stuff. So I was excited to see him involved with this. And I have to say, uh, before we get into spoiler territory, I really liked VHS 85. It wasn't as good as I was hoping it was going to be. Uh, it, to me, there were no real standout episodes. There were no standout stories. Although each story was good in its own right, there was just no, like, oh, the subject or, or terror from, from 94, Ozzy's Dungeon or Back to Hell from 99, Slumber Party Alien Abduction from VHS 2, you know, stuff like that that just was really kind of iconic outside of the box and just kind of like they went for it. There was no stories like that, although they were really good stories. And I think the two that came closest to that for me was the No Wake story and the Dream Kill episode. And maybe as time goes on, and if I remember those stories and aspects of those stories more and more, uh, maybe maybe I'll change my mind on that. But uh, those two were the, the two stories I really loved in this. And like I said, th they were all pretty good stories, which uh, we'll, we'll kind of get into that. Uh, I, I don't want to get too spoilery, even though we are going to get into some spoilers in the spoilery section. But if you haven't watched VHS 85 and you're a fan of the VHS series, of course you've got to watch this. And, and I think it's it's pretty good. It's like I said, there's, there's not a bad story in this bunch. Although two of the stories are really good and the other two stories are, are pretty good. No two stories feel the same. And the Scott Derrickson story, the Dream Kill story, was probably one of the more cinematic episodes in the entirety of the VHS franchise. He really used some interesting ways to get around it being found footage while still keeping it found footage. And, and if you've seen it, you, you kind of understand where I'm going with that. And we may even, I may even talk a little bit about that once we get into some spoilers. But uh, all of all of the episodes in this were really good. And I really liked the David Bruckner through line for this or the wraparound for this the total copy segment which we get in pieces in between each segment and i've seen people and i've heard people talk about how they wish that was just a regular segment but i think you really had to to break that up because if you ran it in its entirety it would just felt kind of a disjointed because you had to, to take this story in increments with bits of time gap in between those increments. And, and doing it like this as the wraparound for this, I think, allowed you to, to do those things and take those liberties with the storytelling. Uh, you didn't have to have it just be one continuous run through of the story. You could, like I said, break it up have little bits of time jump in between each segment. And I think that's why this really works as a wraparound. And it's an interesting story and it's a creepy story. And outside of the the other two favorites of mine, No Wake uh, slash Ambrosia and the Dream Kill segments, uh, I really liked the wraparound in this. Probably one of the few wraparounds in the VHS series that I really enjoyed as much as some of the actual segments in the franchise. So that I take that for what it is. But this movie, some pretty good segments, some really good segments. The special effects are, are always really good in that kind of low-budget way. 
Uh, there's a lot of good practical effects, especially in the No Wake story. I thought there was some really good gore in that. Uh, there was some gore in the God of Death segment that I thought was really good. Uh, the Techno God segment was was really disgusting. The Dream Kill segment had just just this really eerie, almost artsy vibe to it, but it it didn't lack in gore and brutality and violence. It was really good as far as that goes. So if you like like a lot of blood, like a lot of gore, like a lot of violence, uh, you're gonna get that in spades with this. It had some pretty good acting for a lot of actors that you may not know, but you've seen them in other things. Uh, so. I think the acting's pretty good. The writing, I thought, was really good. And all in all, I think this is a pretty good installment in the VHS film franchise. Like I said, I had higher hopes for it just because it was going into the 80s. And, you know, that's kind of my wheelhouse. Uh, you know, I was born in the, the mid-70s, but, you know, I really cut my teeth on horror and music and, and everything else that shaped me in the 80s so i was really looking forward to that and and they did play into the 80s a lot with the look and and just the style that's going on but i was just hoping for this to be a lot better than it was like i said not to say that it wasn't good i just i think i set the bar too high in my mind and really needed to i always talk about managing expectations that's a big thing in the advertising world when you're dealing with clients and and trying to to create commercials for them you have to manage their expectations of what they're getting uh, how it's going to affect their business and i try to apply that to, to my own personal life about managing my expectations and i always preach that to, to anyone who listens to me on this podcast have to manage your expectations. I did not manage my expectations. So maybe, like I said, once I've set on this, uh, I may rewatch it again. I'll probably end up rewatching it again. Maybe once, uh, at least once, I'll watch it again. Maybe another, maybe another viewing. Uh, I may change my mind and how much I like this, but I already like it. I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good film. It's just not the greatness that I was expecting because it's the '80s, and that's just, I think, my own personal fault. So. If you haven't watched VHS 85, go check it out on Shudder. Uh, definitely worth a watch, especially if you're a VHS fan or if you like anthologies, found footage. You just like some good horror. Uh, nothing overly scary, but like I said, a lot of good story and a lot of good gore and uh, a lot of the things that, that make horror fun. And you get a lot of that in this. So go check it out and then come back and hear my thoughts on this. And if you have watched it or you don't care one way or the other, you don't care about spoilers, you just, yeah, you're interested to hear what all the fuss is about. Uh, we're going to keep on, but there are going to be some spoilers from here on out. So we're going to go kind of in order with this, although I am going to talk about the wraparound first as a, a complete segment in and of itself and then we'll get into the individual segments i'm not gonna uh, you know talk about each segment of the wraparound in between uh we're, we're gonna keep it all kind of fairly contained but the total copy wraparound narrative of this to me it felt like but the old episodes of 60 minutes where you have hugh downs and he's he's kind of narrating this and presenting different experts to talk about this, that, or the other thing. It very much felt to me like a cross between like an old TV documentary, but more so it felt like an old episode of 60 Minutes or one of those TV news documentary shows. But it is covering the discovery of this like slime-covered boy that they name Rory, and he is obviously some sort of alien. 
and the these scientists are trying to communicate with him and the only way they can think to communicate with him is to present him what america is what americans are what humans are they've got him in this little uh, examination room but they've got it set up to look like a, a living room in a typical american home and they've got him sitting in front of a tv playing just like a non-stop barrage of imagery of workout videos and episodes of tv and this that and the other thing and and can we get that in segments and in increments and with each segment we get with each bit of the wraparound that we get we get more and more sense that rory is changing and that he is more aware of things that are going on around him behind the scenes than they they think he is and and of course he starts to to change and then we finally get the revelation that he's changed into this alien creature that he is and that's really where the terror starts to come in in one of the last uh, segments that we get of this. Uh, I think that might even be the last segment of the movie where, the, you know, he's got these long tentacles that that reach out. And, and some of it was done practical. Some of it was done, I think, CG. Uh, the CG wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. And, and I'm not even 100% sure how much CG was actually used but because they did use a lot of practical effects but you had this this terror and this kind of chase scene of these these doctors trying to get out of this facility and and these tentacles chasing them and at the end of it because they keep showing rory watching these workout videos with these you know women in their spandex you know workout outfits a big thing in the 80s the jazzer not jazzer size but the the aerobics and the they're on the on the ground lifting their pelvises off the ground very i mean as a kid growing up in the 80s uh that was as good as porn for me because you know as a little kid I had no idea where to get my hands on any porn. It's not like today where all you got to do is just click on the keyboard and Bob's your uncle. There's a bunch of porn for you. You know, if I wanted to watch a lady in spandex and some sort of thongy unitard, uh, I just watch a workout video that came on TV. And like I said, that was that was as good as it got. Besides the J.C. Penney's uh, ladies underwear section of the catalog, uh, that was as, as good as... A dirty movie to me back in those days but we see rory uh, kill the the final person and they're holding this camera as a part of the found footage and we see this body being drugged through the hall and it's kind of creepy and weird uh, much like the whole chasing was just very very scary and the terror felt real but we feel see this body being drugged back to wherever rory's actual body is inside of this examination room this laboratory if you will and then when we we get the body there and the camera kind of flops and trains on the inside of the room where rory has some of the bodies that he's killed and they're laying on the ground and he's using his tentacles to lift up their pelvises like they're mimicking the the workout video that he's been watching it was it was kind of a funny moment and, uh, you know, you had all this terror and to have that terror and the, the atmosphere kind of broken by this moment of levity. I just, I sat there and I saw that and I just got this big smirk on my face. I was like, oh, Jesus. 
Not in a bad way. It was a good way. It was one of those funny moments that I wasn't 100% expecting. And then when they hit you with it, it's like, oh, God, don't tell me you just did that. But they did. And it was actually kind of a, a very entertaining moment for what was actually a really creepy segment because uh, just the lighting and everything when they're showing this little boy looking figure covered in this goo sitting there it's it's backlit by a lamp you don't really see a lot of definition you just see this silhouette and it's just very creepy just sitting there watching tv and they really build up a lot of atmosphere in that way with this that was was creepy and like I said, uh, there were a lot of scary moments and, and tense moments uh, in this in this segment through the various segments as we use this for like the through line or the wraparound, if you will. And, and David Bruckner did a really good job with this. Like I said, outside of the two actual segments that I really liked, this was another aspect of VHS eighty five that I really found enjoyable. And like I said, probably one of the few through lines that I really liked just as much as some of the the actual segments in the movie. Now, No Wake was really a, a good episode. It was the first actual segment we got in this movie, and it's about this group of young adults. Uh, they're taking their RV to this lake. They're going to do some skiing and just hang out and party and drink beer and smoke doobies, uh, you know, what teens and young adults did in 80s movies and probably in real life uh, at that time. It's interesting because they set up this mystery. There's this broken sign about not swimming. And I thought, okay, there's something in the water. There's some sort of creature. It's going to be kind of like the raft of Stephen King's uh, short story that made it into Creepshow 2, something sinister in the water that is going to attack them when they least expect it. And that was not it at all. I really love that I had my expectations subverted by this. And they're in the water having a good time. And then all of a sudden, this becomes like a, it becomes a sniper attack. Somebody is shooting at them. And some of the special effects of the shooting, the one girl getting her jaw shot off and a bit of it hanging there was just, I was like, oh my God, that, it was disgusting and gory. Uh, you know, everybody gets shot on the boat. Then all of a sudden they start to come back to life and you're like, what the F? And it was, it was interesting how the only ones that came back to life were the ones that were in the water. And you start to put the two and two together as to why you shouldn't go in the water. Although it doesn't seem like a bad thing. I mean, you're not healed once you come back to life. If you've got your jaw shot off, you're stuck with that. But, uh, but it does have these powers that you can't die. And then they kind of leave you with a cliffhanger because they use the, the one guy who is filming all this, uh, making this a found footage piece. They look to find the license plate of the person who, who did this with the idea that, okay, we're going to go do to them what they did to us. And you're thinking, oh, they're going to go F this person up. Now, this is the only one we're going to go out of order because there's another segment later on that really is just a continuation of this, the segment called Ambrosia, where we find ourselves in the middle of this party. You're not sure exactly what it is, but then by the time the you know most of the party goers are gone and then you've really just got this family left, you find out that this family has this tradition of killing people almost like a sacrifice for their own prosperity or, or something like that 
they have to find seven people and kill them. And it's a rite of passage for the younger members of the family. And then this girl that that we find and we're following through this, uh, she is the one that had to go out and she's filmed her her kills and then we find out that it is the the kids from the no wake segment that she went out and killed and she films herself uh using the sniper rifle and there's a bit earlier on where she gets shot with a little squirt gun from this kid and you recognize the squirt gun because it's a squirt gun that the kids from no wake were using uh, they were shooting vodka into each other's mouths with it. Uh, and he said he got it from somebody in a camper. And you're starting to put together that this is a continuation of that no-wake story. And then the revelation that it had water from that lake in it. And when the kids from the no-wake story, you see that they've called the cops and there's a big firefight. And then you realize this young girl uh, that's been shot with this water she can't die either. And she's kind of in that sort of limbo where these other kids are. As many times as she gets shot, she just keeps coming back to life. And it leaves you hanging again. There's no real conclusion to it. Just the the idea and the horror that now there are these kids out there that are going to have to to go through life, uh, many of them disfigured and mutilated from from gunshot wounds, and they can't die. And where does that where does that go? Where does that take them? Where does it end for them? It's kind of an open ended horror that I thought was really interesting because it does give you room to wonder what happened next. And I think it's probably one of the reasons why I like this because it doesn't wrap everything up in a neat little package for you. It does give you pause to to wonder where where the story goes from here. And sometimes that really works. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, sometimes, you know, I need things to be wrapped up. But with something like this, that you don't even know why the lake has the properties that's, that it has, uh, I don't need to know. And I think in not knowing, uh, I think it is more interesting to leave it open-ended because there's so much you don't know about that it's okay that I don't know how these kids end up because I don't even know how the hell they got here in the first place. So uh, I think to me, that is my rationale for for liking the fact that it is kind of an open ending for it. Uh, Mike P. Nelson directed both of these segments, the, the No Wake and the Ambrosia segment. Uh, not a director I'm completely familiar with, but I really liked what he did here and I like what he did with the storytelling. So uh, it's, a, you know, it's a director I want to see more from. And now, the God of Death segment was directed by Gigi Saul Guerrero. Uh, again, not a director I'm terribly familiar with, but she has done a few things. Uh, she did a segment for ABC's A Death Two and a Half. Uh, she did the feature film Bingo Hell, uh, stuff like that. Not not a ton that I have seen, but uh, but things I'm aware of. Uh, she did an episode for the Purge TV series. Uh, she did an episode of Into the Dark for Hulu. So th there's stuff out here, and, and I'm interested to see what else she's done. And I'm interested to see what she's going to do in the future because God of Death was an interesting segment because it was all done in Spanish. It takes place, I believe, in Mexico City. And you kind of have this uh, low-budget TV show uh, they're filming this, you know, what's going on uh, in their daily routine. And all of a sudden this earthquake hits 
and of course everyone in this building is is killed except for the the camera operator and then you get these first responders coming in to try and rescue him and get him out of the building there's several floors up and one i thought the effects that they used for the earthquake were really good some of the visual effects that they did on the outside of the building looked real uh, i was quite impressed with how good they looked and then the effects inside the building as as things are going on i thought were were pretty good and really enjoyed it it really felt like uh, all the claustrophobia you would get being trapped in a building that is collapsing around you and and that added a lot of tension to the the terror the only thing i didn't care for and this maybe is a nitpick but like there were just a lot of leaps in logic to get us from where we started out of this rescue team trying to get this camera operator out of the building and they hit ground level and they're they keep going down the stairs and like oh here's ground level we're going too low yet they keep going <laughs> And they keep going till they get to into a basement and then the basement they go into an air duct and the air duct leads to these underground caverns and like what was this goonies they just keep going down until they hit uh, one-eyed willie's pirate ship but that that was a little bit of leap in logic but once they got down there it was creepy you see these Aztec paintings on the wall and they, they give a line of exposition that I didn't think was necessary that, oh, these are pre-Hispanic. This is from pre-Hispanic history. And, and then you start to hear the noises and then this, this god of death shows up and you get a bit of gore and you get, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of atmosphere and, and creepiness. Uh, I, I enjoyed it well enough. It wasn't one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I would say of the two episodes, I didn't didn't like as much. Not to say I didn't like them, but I didn't like them as much as the other ones. Uh, I think I liked this one more than the Techno God one because that one well we'll get into that because that's the next segment we're going to be talking about but uh, th this was okay uh I, I think this could have used a little more time to flesh things out it felt like there were a lot more things that Gigi Saul Guerrero wanted to do but couldn't or, or at least had to cut them for time to to keep this segment short because I believe it, this is probably the shortest segment of the group in this movie uh, at least it felt shorter. I mean, it kept moving. The pace was really good with this. Uh, you know, from the time it started and the earthquake hit to to the ending, you know, it was kind of fast moving. You know, it just kept going. It didn't linger anywhere. So the, the pacing was really good. Uh, the direction was really good. I thought the acting was really good, even though it's all done in, in Spanish language uh, and you're reading subtitles. It was still the type of story that you don't have to rely on knowing what they're saying to get the emotion of what they're feeling. And I thought that was really interesting. And another cool aspect of this was that this is actually based on a true event. Uh, this takes place on September 19th in 1985. And... That was the actual day, and they even mentioned the exact time when a huge earthquake hit Mexico City. So not only is it an interesting story that ties into Mexico's past with the Aztecs and this Aztec god of death and all the horrors that lie there, but is actually 
based on a true horror, the horror of that huge earthquake hitting Mexico City back in 85. So I thought that was a an interesting facet to it that just added another, it added a level of realism and added a level of, of actual horror. Now the next segment, uh, Techno God, which <laughs> the, the title of it, it's Techno God, but they spell it almost like a vanity plate or like some dude's chick magnet net handle, T-K-N-O-G-D, directed by Natasha Kramani. And this was an interesting episode. Like I said, not one of my favorite episodes uh, or not one of my favorite segments, but still an interesting one all the same because this one dealt with like the early starts of virtual reality. And, and in the 80s, you know, as soon as computers started becoming a bigger thing, you started seeing computer-generated images. You started seeing the the early birth of virtual reality. And I remember it was a big thing watching Steven Spielberg's amazing stories and the computer-generated images at the beginning with the night and the spaceship. And to me, it was just, it was, I, I mean, I knew it looked fake. It didn't look real, and I was expecting it to look real. But still, it was just a, a wonder that all this is created with computers. And it was just a, a fascinating time for a kid growing up and all the possibilities. But this is an interesting story because it delves into the early days of VR, but it's done almost as a performance art piece with this, this woman up on the stage talking about God and the belief in God and that our God is dead and we've replaced it with a God of technology and she puts on this VR helmet and is going to confront this God of technology and it's a real simple story because she goes into this VR world and she finds exactly what she's looking for and the results are not what she expected and it was kind of cool to see what she's seeing on this screen and what's happening to her in real life and this God which you know it, it was very simple animation of that time actually that was probably a little more technologically advanced than the VR we would actually see in 1985 but uh, we see this this god of technology uh, attacking her and we see it happening in real life on the stage it's all being filmed for posterity's sake so found footage but uh, we see her being lifted off the ground we see limbs being ripped off this is probably one of the goriest episodes or segments in this and I thought uh, they did a really good job with that uh, while it it felt a bit like a chamber play because it all takes place in this this one room and you do get a little into the VR world but but it all takes place in this one room and this audience is sitting there watching it enraptured by all this and at the very end she's been ripped apart her cameraman goes up and pulls off her VR mask and it just you see her her face half eaten away and just her eyeballs moving around it, it was gross and then all of a sudden they start applauding and clapping like it's a part of the performance art piece that she's doing to me i thought of any of them this is the one that felt like it had a message to say uh, it was talking about technology and how we make technology our new God that we worship and our new God 
can build us up and can tear us down. You know, how many people have been canceled in today's culture because of technology? They say the wrong thing and this technology turns its back on them and and turns against them and ruins their lives. And we just sit back and watch all this happen, especially with celebrities and people who are in the limelight, we see them self-destruct at the the feet of the god of technology, and we applaud and we watch it with bated breath, wondering what sort of horrible thing is going to happen to them next. And it's it's a commentary on where we put our importance, I think, and it's a commentary on society as a whole. In that we are all spectators and we all uh, are, are worshiping in our own way at the feet of the God of technology and are just waiting to see who he blesses and who he smites at, at any given moment. So uh, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's what I took from it. I thought of any of these segments, this is the one that really had something to say besides just the horror of it. And I thought they did a really good job. And Natasha Kramani did a really good job with having something to say, or maybe she didn't. Maybe it's all just me reading too much into this, but I think she had something to say. And saying that without putting the message in front of the horror, I think the horror came first in this. And it really showed, and the the gruesomeness and the the gnarliness of the special effects and the practical effects really made this a pretty good segment. That that, like I said, not one of my favorites, but I did ultimately enjoy it. Much like the the God of Death before it, I I did enjoy it, even though it wasn't one of my favorites. And of course, after that, you get the Ambrosia segment that I talked about. Finally, you get one of my favorite segments of VHS eighty five, directed by Scott Derrickson. And this was, like I said, this was probably the more cinematic of all of these. And for, for Scott Derrickson to, to take this and do something cinematic with found footage. And he found interesting ways because he filmed a lot of this on like 8mm film and filmed it like a, a POV shot of this killer killing people. And turn that around by having that be this dream that this kid is having and the kid's VCR or whatever is imprinting his dream on a video cassette. So it was an interesting way to to get around the found footage aspect of this and still film something interesting and film it cinematically. I think that's why this segment really stands out because it is very artistic. It is very cinematic. It is very dreamlike and ethereal in parts. Uh, There are some parts I'm like, oh my God, what is this? It felt, uh, is this like a David Lynch film? I I wasn't sure what was going on, but it kept going and, and delving into more of the story. And I think, of all of them, this was probably the more interesting story uh, to get into. And it is all about this these murders that are happening, this detective that is investigating these. Uh, Freddy Rodriguez plays Detective Wayne. But the kick is, is that he is getting a videotape sent to him days to a week before the murders even happen. And it is a videotape of these murderers happening. And it's interesting because there's a big mystery of how this is is going down. How is it happening? And I thought it was a, an interesting way to do it, to have a, this, this videographer for the police force that's working with Detective Wayne, Bobby, who's played by James Ranson, who's worked with Scott Derrickson in Sinister and some other things. Uh, his son 
Gunther, who's played by Scott Derrickson's son. He's kind of a weird kid, emo kid. He's he, you know, one of these kids that paint their face looking like Kiss, all white paint with black lipstick and black eyeliner, and he's it looks all goth. He's definitely not uh, appreciated by his father, but he is having his dreams recorded by this. I don't know if it's supposed to be the VCR or uh, a camera in his room, but somehow his dreams are being recorded. And he's seeing them and sending them to the police. Uh, they think he's a suspect, but he's just trying to to help catch whoever is doing this. The twist that you kind of saw coming, that it is his dad, the James Ranson character, uh, Bobby. And it is not a big surprise that the Gunther character, uh, played by Scott Derrickson's son, is the one that stops him. But between here and there, the kills and the... The bits of of killing that he did that were recorded in the dream were were interesting and gory. Uh, The shootout at the police station was was gory. And I thought this was an interesting way to to do kind of a murder mystery thing. Uh, Because I think a lot of Scott Derrickson's horror stuff like Sinister and Black Phone all tie around the realism of, of serial killers and murderers and add a supernatural aspect to it. Uh, So this kind of is in line with what Scott Derrickson does. And I thought it was an interesting thing to kind of delve into the dream zone a little bit. This is probably a story that, I don't know, maybe it would make a good movie or the basis for a good movie, or or maybe it is best just to be confined to this small segment in in an anthology series. I don't know, but but it was an interesting idea that if they could have fleshed it out a little more, I would have been interested in seeing that. But I think Scott Derrickson did a good enough job with the small self-contained story that I enjoyed it well enough on its own. And I love the fact that they tie this into the Black Phone universe. This takes place in the same universe as the Black Phone because there is a line of dialogue where Bobby is talking about his son Gunther to Detective Wayne and he mentions that his son has kind of had this this power having these premonitions of things that haven't happened and his cousin Gwen is just like that. And of course, Gwen is the sister from the Black Phone movie. Now, of course, that takes place in the 70s. This takes place in 85. So she'd be a little bit of an older cousin, but she'd still be a cousin to the Gunther character. And and I love how that, that little tie-in, just that little line that you may have even missed. I mean, watching Black Phone when it came out a couple years ago, you may not even remember that the girl's name was Gwen. But I love that connectivity to a bigger picture and a bigger story that 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 sort of psychic power that uh, that power of having premonitions is something that obviously runs in their family and, and to me that was really cool so all in all i really enjoyed vhs 1985 like i said just in talking about it i i realized i enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i did with that initial viewing i mean i, mean, I am going to watch it again at least one more time but I, I i don't even think i need a rewatch to to realize how much i enjoyed even those two stories god of death and techno god uh, i enjoyed those stories a lot more than i thought i did so this this really is a, an excellent anthology film and an excellent installment in the VHS series and one that, that I, I did quite enjoy. The couple episodes that I thought were really good, the Dream Kill 
uh, No Wake Ambrosia, and even the through line of Total Copy were were really good. Excellent stories. But even the ones I, I thought I didn't like as much, uh, Techno God and God of Death, uh, you know, in, in talking it out and, and talking about all the things I really liked about those, uh, I really enjoyed those probably uh, maybe not quite as much as the ones I really loved but I enjoyed them much more than I thought and this is a this is an anthology that I think is definitely worth a watch whether you like the found footage stuff whether you like the VHS series whether you like uh, you know just good gory horror fun horror this is definitely something that you know we're in October and definitely something cool to watch for Halloween, I've always felt like stuff like the VHS series, stuff like Tales of Halloween, uh, stuff like Trick or Treat anthology things, the bite-sized Halloween that they'd have on Hulu, which I don't even know if they did a new season or are going to do a new season this year of that. But uh, but this little little stories, uh, horror stories, I think are great to put on for Halloween parties or just to have on the background while you're, where you're doing your things and doing all the fall Halloween stuff around your house. Uh, I, I love having stuff like this to be able to just get a little, a little taste of some horror without having to commit, you know, an hour and a half to two hours of a movie. And you can just get a little bite of horror, get a little here, get a little there. And that just is what makes this such a fun time of year uh, to enjoy horror. And I think something like VHS 85 is is the perfect thing to throw on uh, while you have a Halloween party going on. This is like just under two hours. And I think it's, like I said, uh, a perfect thing to throw on. That way people can come in and out of your living room, get a little bit of horror, a little taste, a little sample. And then, and then go on and continue with the... Uh, frivolity and the festivities of whatever Halloween party you've got going on. But uh, definitely worth a watch, especially if you love a good anthology, especially if you love the found footage and the VHS series. Uh, this is certainly worth a watch, so uh, check it out on Shudder. And I can't wait for the next one. There, I don't think I've seen anything as far as uh, what they're going to do next for the VHS series. Uh, I know VHS 85 was announced pretty soon after 99. So I'm hoping within the next month or two, we may see or, or hear something about the next installment in the VHS series because they've been pretty faithful with, you know, one a year from 94, 99, and 85. That was 21, 22, and 23. Hopefully in 24, we'll get another installment in the VHS franchise, and and I look forward to it whenever it happens to come out, and whatever year they decide to uh, to delve into as far as found footage goes. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on VHS 85. Check it out on Shutter right now. Definitely worth a watch if you love horror and anthologies. And want to thank everyone for listening. You can check out more about horror, fantasy, and science fiction uh, on our Facebook page and our Instagram page. We're always posting stuff as well as Wherever you listen to this podcast, follow it, like it, subscribe to it. Of course, we've had a lot going on this week with uh, some bonus episodes. We've got a lot going on next week. Things this week I couldn't even talk about. Castlevania Nocturne, uh, Wheel of Time wrapped up as well. We've got more movies coming out. We've got Creep Show Season 4 that is kicking off tomorrow on Shudder. Gearing up to, to do a talk about that once that series is finished and so much more. So a lot going on this time of year. So a lot of content, a lot of bonus episodes. So subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. 
uh, like it, follow it, whatever it calls it. And that way you can get updated on all the new episodes that come out as they come out. And like I said, this time of year, there's always a lot of bonus content as well. So uh, check that out. And uh, no matter what you do, always share this podcast with anyone that you know loves horror and fantasy and science fiction. Help us get our numbers up and leave those reviews. Five stars will be awesome. But whatever review you leave, we do appreciate it. And we thank you. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!